Welcome to Point Blank, true crime podcast. This podcast covers stories on murder, disappearances, mass shootings, and all things true crime. From a backpacker going missing in Croatia to one of Australia's most despicable serial killers. You can find Point Blank on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. Do we need to say anything else? That was like the star, and so everyone is a bruja and all this. Mm. This kid, this poor son of a bitch, everywhere he goes, he's getting attacked by Mexican gangsters. It's like I don't think it's that dangerous to just walk around. You just get mugged everywhere. Oh, I Maybe thought that was is. his curse or something. That was the no. paranormal activity. It was no. Cholo robbing. <laughs> he uh, he gets a magic power where he can just like they attack him and then he just hits them and they go flying because the demon gave him power. It's beautiful. D- d- paranormal activity. Yeah. The same the marked one? ones. The marked ones, yeah. The whole story is he was... Okay, have you seen How the... How many other... did they make? Six, I think. Number one Jesus. scared the shit out of me. Number... Okay, one is good, two's all right, three's stupid, four's kind of stupid. Uh, the marked ones is very stupid. Like, the demon powers, he... There's, like, a giant fucking um, stairs. He's like, let's see if it gives me the power, and he, like ollies and grinds down this huge staircase apparently the demon gives you that power i guess with a skateboard with a skateboard what's going know, on dude, dude i i would love a demon to give me that power <laughs> well see it might be too late for you because what his mother had to do was impregnate herself with the demon with the baby yeah i know this is already done and then my mom's song. far too old to bear children <laughs> of course has you, she already gone through the change oh i'm sure she's <laughs> 60 Oh, it has to be the firstborn, too. Oh. So, Sorry. Done. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, yeah, no, I was fucked. Yeah, <laughs> nice like, try. I mean, already she's 67, so. Yeah, you're not mm. planting a seed in there. I'm sorry. Mm-mm. Too it's late not for the way she goes. And you have to have a bite mark on your forearm, too, so. I mean, I can give myself a bite mark on my forearm. <laughs> Just get adopted by someone that doesn't have kids. <laughs> Ooh. And then smart. bite yourself and then... <laughs> hey, you want to adopt a 31-year-old? <laughs> Freshly 31. If I mailed your mom or dad the papers to adopt you, do you think they'd sign off on it, Jordan? Fuck no. <laughs> you don't think they'd sign off on giving you away for adoption to Cody? Oh, on that way, I mean, yeah, then they might. <laughs> yeah. They'd be like, yeah, fucking... Get him off our hands. Yeah. He's a special needs boy. I got to take care of him. Don't worry. He's been nothing but a disappointment so far. <laughs> I'm going to be like Taylor Swift's parents and then just uh, take all your money when you get rich from your band and, and ride that uh, ride that wave. 
Yeah, joke's on you. We play metal, so we're never getting rich. Oh. What do you mean? Simple plan made it big. Hey, yeah, nu- they're nu- not metal, Cody. <laughs> hate to burst blast- your bubble. <laughs> That's what you think. Nuclear Blast will pay you like $40 if you make a record. <laughs> uh, let's fucking go Nuclear Blast. God, I hate that record label. They're so bad. Who's on it? Like, everybody now. Because well, like, at least ten years ago, it was everybody because yeah, they, they give were offering out fucking, good deals. Yeah, they give out deals like it's no one's business. But then they force the bands to take down all their other good albums off like streaming services. So it's like just the nuclear blast shit, and yeah. that's overproduced and like, under emotional garbage. Yeah, mm-hmm. like a big thing with nuclear blast too is like they're kind of the gateway for metal bands to play in Europe because that's. The only place they fucking book their bands. Of course. <laughs> Is that your dream to play in Europe? I would love to fucking tour Europe. Oh, that'd be so dope. Because the fans there are absolutely insane. Oh, yeah. Well, like, look at a band like Architects, one of my favorites. In the U.S., they play 1,500-person venues, like, at the high end, and they barely sell that out. They sell out arenas in yeah. Europe. Yeah. So... Yeah. <laughs> And I'm sure, do they play Vakken Open Air Festival as oh, well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that's full when they play. Apparently, J- uh, Japan is on the fucking come up for metal. In the last, like, few years, like, it's just blown up. That's- Blind Guardian is one of my favorite bands of all time. Sword metal, even though it is. Uh, but, I, but it's... <laughs> That's fucking, like, their Japan live albums are unbelievable. Like, the fans are crazy. Oh, yeah. Dude, what's the one band that I got Brad really into? Uh, uh, the one, two, like three, Like, the fours. power metal. Uh, they write all their songs about either World War II or the Crusades. Oh, uh, Panzerfaust? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Uh, what's the name of them? They uh, have a song called Panzerfaust. I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't listen to oh, this music. Sabaton. Yes, Sabaton. Sabaton. Through the gates of and they're, they're like role-playing metal. Through the Nazi lines we march. Well, it, it, folk metal, <laughs> you could kind of say it's role-playing metal. But, yeah. But pagan metal is really my absolute favorite. Okay. Wolf chant and fucking so what songs ma- about overthrowing the Christian religion. <laughs> yes. As a group of hey, barbarians. Yeah, I've been really into like the sludge and stoner metal lately. <laughs> like Weed Eater, Bongzilla, High on Fire. Oh. You, wizard, electric wizard, electric wizard, dope yep. smoker. Yep, yeah, dope. Like that there, shit's there's just it's so chill. Even a local band here, uh, Witch Den, <laughs> fucking killer. Have I heard of Witch Den? I'd hope so. They've been around for like twenty fucking years. I think I've heard of Witch Den then. And they still haven't made it to Europe. I'm sure they've been. Honestly, to they might have. Mm. With a name like Witch Den, how could you not? It's pretty. It's solid. <laughs> you could sell that. You could put that on a T-shirt. Actually, Jordan came up when me and Phil were recording about uh, on Subliminal Deception podcast. It's on the episode that's not going to be released for a while. But what's uh, how do I find that podcast? Uh, just search Subliminal Deception podcast on your favorite podcasting app. Should I leave a five star review? Absolutely. Should I write an email to the host so they can uh, read it? Uh, I don't know. Not unless you want Phil to write you back. That's okay. that's at your discretion. Hey, no, Phil I'm... is a smart <laughs> son of a bitch, so yeah. pick his brain. He's smarter than I am, I'll tell yeah. you that. Anyway, so he we were talking about, uh, he was mentioning the religions you can get on your dog tags. And he's like, oh, they have one that says Druid awesome. as a religion. Oh, shit. Awesome. 
And I said, you, I'm fairly certain you have no Scottish or British heritage at all, or Scottish or Irish heritage at all, do you, Jordan? As far as I know, I don't. No. <laughs> I am straight German so you, and Norse. You are a false prophet. <laughs> yeah, I am. He's definitely not an islander. I, He's a mainlander. I was like, what do they study? That, isn't that just like... Forest wizard. Forest yeah, wizard. pretty much. Okay. That's the best way to they put it. animal companions and... Yeah, that's why they like our... Band's logo is, you know, three trees. One's alive, one's dying, one's dead. And it's a great fucking logo. And every time I wear the sweatshirt, which you can buy at Druid. I got it right dot now. Bandcamp, or dot DruidMN.Bandcamp.com. Very limited sizes left. Very limited sizes left. If you go on there, it still says, and I got to fix it, that the uh, long sleeve shirts are in stock. We are sold out of those. <laughs> it's so a don't, big lie. Please don't buy one. Talk to your IT guy. Get that fixed. That's me. Jordan's the IT guy. <laughs> He's the IT guy. All right. Terrible idea. That is Just never getting fucking fixed. fucking terrible. That's never getting fixed. I can tell you that much right now. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bumblebutt Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about? Certainly not me. My name is Adam. Sitting across from me is Cody. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? This is your episode today. It is. And I'm more excited about <laughs> this one than anyone we've ever done because it, it's going to be lighter than usual. The but first very part. fucking sticky. <laughs> Perfect pun there. Perfect. <laughs> the first up, it's going to be a two-parter. The first one's going to be nice and soft, and the second one's going to be probably pretty gruesome, so... Dope. Prepare yourself Hell for that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Hell let's yeah. not let's not spoil what it's about so nope. far until nope. the introduction's done. Right. Sitting across from me next to Cody is Jordan. How are <laughs> you, buddy? I am doing fantastic. How was your week? Uh short. Short and sweet. <laughs> yes. You didn't work much? Uh you got fired. Worked Monday and Tuesday. <laughs> Wednesday we called the half day because of this fucking snow and shit. We right. My boss wasn't about to pay for a fucking a new tent and heat and shit for two days of work, so I'm in the middle of a four-day weekend right now. Wow. I'm a bit jealous. It's not bad. But you're not getting PTO for that, are you? That is very true. You can't earn. But you Listen, can over- I, I did that yesterday. I did that earlier today. I'm probably going to do a little bit tomorrow because i got to hit that Adidas store tomorrow and <laughs> buy some shit. I thought you just posted a picture about you getting a brand new pair of shoes. I did, and those were only 40 bucks. I'm going back for like... Some new joggers, because all of mine are way too big now. Can you get some Louis Vuittons or something? No. Not at the no. Adidas store. <laughs> Tripoloski. Uh, is that or... Russian Louis Vuitton? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, um, one last question for you, Jordan. Yeah. Have you used your Druid Growler yet? Yes, I have. Do you love it? It is quite fantastic. Does it keep things cold as shit? It does. That's no further questions, Your Honor. Cody, how was your week? I didn't ask you. Uh, it was fine. I just wish it would have stayed 60 and not started blizzarding, but what can you do? What can God, you do? God hates us. That's, so. that's what we get for living in this stupid fucking state. <laughs> just three years ago, I posted a picture on Reddit of May 5th, and it was a blizzard. So I Was I, it really? Oh, yeah. So I, I, that's not... We We're have, we have short memories, obviously. Yeah. Something I did notice that's kind of creepy. If you were to watch the local news talk about a local murder and then talk about the local snowstorm, 
they use the same descriptive words in both. I've seen the word, word brutal all over oh, yeah. the fucking place. Oh, oh. yeah, because of, yeah, <laughs> yesterday that one dude fucking threw a five-year-old off the third floor of the Mall of America. Holy yeah. shit. You didn't hear about that? No. Like, the kid bumped into him, he picked the kid up and threw him over the fucking railing. And they Jesus. arrested somebody. Did they prove it was him yet? I think they have. Good. That place has Which, to be littered with fu- cameras. I know Minnesota doesn't have the death penalty anymore, but kill that dude. Yeah. Straight up. Yeah. Wow, that is a psychopath. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah like the kid has already undergone like five surgeries in the last 24 hours. Because, I mean, shit. a five-year-old that falls three stories and lands on tile, your shit's going to be fucking busted. Mm, that's marble. Yeah. yeah. Not the softest of rocks. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> um, my week was great. I uh, had a didn't go to work, so mm. that's fucking dope. That's all you can ask for. That's all you can ask for. I do want to thank the people on Instagram that were worried because I didn't... Uh, yeah, I had to answer a lot of, is Adam dead questions. Yeah, I, I got, somebody thought I fucking relapsed and started drinking again. <laughs> <laughs> somebody thought I killed myself. I'm good. I was uh, relaxing, I mean, chillaxing. To make everyone feel better, I have no idea what he was up to either, so... <laughs> yeah. Well, we were we were just out west, me and my old man. I just said, you know what? Adam, when Adam's gone, he doesn't talk to anybody, including me, so just he'll be back. Just be patient, all right? That's what I said. I I pretty much just put my phone on silent and threw it across the room the Mm. entire time I was gone. That's fine. Hell yeah. Perfectly fine. It was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. But enough about us idiots. It's time to get into the story. If you noticed, I caught myself (laughs) before I said something terrible. Uh, Cody, this is all you... Please take it off my idiot hands. Mm. Well, we have a very special episode. I'm going to throw out, throw out a little thanks first before we start. Um, we got to thank Shy from Creeper Real for sending us this story. Molasses has kind of became a meme, I guess, of Bumblebee. It's Podcast. kind of an inside joke for yeah. us. If you've listened to the Amish episodes, you'll know the whole meme if thing. If you tuned into the Instagram Live. Yep, <laughs> and Instagram Live. It's a rich and storied tradition at this yes. point. Yes. I don't know where she found it, but she sent it to us. I bought the book, which is Dark Tide, mm-hmm. the great Boston Molasses uh, Flood of 1919. Mm-hmm. I don't have the book on me to know the author's name, but we'll I'll announce it next episode. You know what's funny? After you decided on this episode and started reading the book is... Uh, Abby from the Giant Beast cast brought it up like that week, and she was really? like, I'm reading Dark Tide, and it's fucking crazy. <laughs> it's it's like... Did you do it? <laughs> it's like a very good book, and it's obviously happened a long time ago, and I think the history lesson is really interesting, so hopefully every, everybody will be down with that. It's a, it's a d- departure from our usual stabby, yeah. stabby guts murders, but... Uh, uh, you know what? You'll, you're going to hate them just as much because it's a negligent company... Which I hate just as bad, so... But you know I love corporations. <laughs> yeah, they're the best. Corporations are people, yeah. Cody. <laughs> Fucking dick. <laughs> all right, let's go. Go for it, kid. Now, you're probably all wondering, what exactly could be so exciting about molasses? Well, you might be surprised just how important molasses has been to America, dating all the way back to the 1600s. Molasses, in a nutshell, is simply a byproduct created in the processing of cane sugar. Sugar cane is crushed to remove the juice, which is then boiled to extract the sugar. The remaining syrup, after the sugar has been crystallized, becomes known as the first molasses, which is in its sweetest form. Oh. 
The leftover sugar from the second boiling is called second molasses, <laughs> which is cheaper but less sweet. Now, the syrup remaining after the third extraction of the sugar cane becomes known as the Amish's favorite miracle cure, blackstrap molasses, Whoa. which is a dark, bittersweet, unpleasant-tasting liquid. It's like thick soy sauce mixed with assholes. Uh, yep. So you can kind of see why it doesn't have much of a sweet taste, because all the sugar's oh. been taken out of it several times. They've so. refined that motherfucker yeah. down to its bare middle. Basically nothing. And now, no- if anyone's wondering what it tastes like, just go buy it. Yeah, We've given you a description. <laughs> Target, just Target just makes a good see one. for yourself. Archer Farms Black Molasses. Now, Blackstrap is is going to be primarily used in the production of industrial alcohol, and we're going to go into that later. Early American colonists would use molasses to make their own beers and rum, which they consider to be an essential part of their diet. That's how I know I'm a real American. <laughs> I don't think that's, that's in that one, Jordan. It's not in ham. Shut up, Cody. <laughs> New Englanders would use molasses to make baked beans, brown bread, and pumpkin pie. German communities in Pennsylvania would use molasses in their shoe fly pie, which is a molasses pie or cake you would enjoy with a strong dark coffee in the mornings. Mm. And pandowdy, saying that right, Jordan? I'd imagine so. <laughs> which is a baked apple and spice dish. That sounds great. Yeah, I was going to say all of that sounds very good. I could go for some molasses pie with a nice glass of dark coffee. Here's the Hell problem. yeah. Here's the problem with this colonial shit. I don't <laughs> know if any of you have ever had, uh, um, what is it, William Tell's root beer or no, whatever? No. That is garbage. <laughs> so it, it's probably also garbage. Well, I'm sure they could make rum fine. Yeah, maybe beer. So. Maybe yeah. beer. I don't know. I wonder what the proof would be. Do you think it would be strong still? Or I'd admit. Well, if it's blackstrap, it's probably going to be weak because there's not a ton of sugar for the sure. yeast to eat. Sure. In colonial Carolina, molasses was called long sugar and was said to serve all the purposes of sugar, both in eating and drinking. Yay! <laughs> it was said in the town of Colchester, Connecticut, that their Thanksgiving celebration had to be delayed until they could procure more molasses. <laughs> During- no, no, we got plenty of turkeys. It's the molasses that's holding it up. They're not around this time. They don't fuck around with their molasses no. here. During many colonists' Christmas celebration, it was a vital ingredient for making traditional gingerbread. I can see that. By the mid 1700s. It was estimated that each colonist would consume about three quarts of molasses a year. How are they not diabetic? I don't know. (laughs) Oh, boy. That sounds like a thick three quarts. Yeah. It sounds like what we're going to get into, sugar was too expensive, so they had to use molasses instead. Now that we have all the good things about molasses out of the way, <laughs> let's take a look at the darker side of the molasses tree. Sometimes it was sassy molasses, and that's how you knew it was no good. <laughs> In the early 1600s, molasses was a vital part of New England's economy. They would take the molasses and turn it into rum or other distilled alcohols. Once they had an overabundance of rum, they would need to sell or trade it to somebody. If you were a ship captain during this time, you may have been told something like this. Our orders are that you embrace the first fair wind and make the best of your way to the coast of Africa. And there, invest your cargo in slaves. (laughs) That's right. They would trade rum to African coast merchants in exchange for black slaves. 
They would then take those slaves to the West Indies, Cuba, Jamaica, and Puerto Rico, and trade them for more molasses or, or other such goods. Or as I like to call them, the slave staging zone. Because Basically that's what where it they is. went to, yep. Yep. I, I told you when I was first putting this together, like, even reading that, it was just, like, uncomfortable. Just, trading, like, extreme. Trading sugar byproduct <laughs> for human life. Well, they're trading rum for human life. Okay. And then trading that human life for, for sugar, sugar byproduct. <laughs> so, they then returned to America and started the cycle all over again. They called this Triangle Trade. The first Ooh. ever slave ship to depart America in 1638 was called... Desire, I don't know. It's kind of a creepy name for a boat, but whatever. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hope it's called Desiree, like a sassy <laughs> black girl. <laughs> I, I'm gonna say I don't think it is, <laughs> and that's only slightly better than a slave ship called Desire, <laughs> which is the far worse version of the play, a streetcar named Desire. Yeah, <laughs> a slave ship named Des- Desiree. <laughs> Oh, God. That's our new script. (laughs) African men would be traded for 115 gallons of rum, and African women would be traded for 95 gallons of rum apiece. (sighs) The fucked up part was many of the slaves that were sold in the West Indies would end up being repurchased and brought to America later on. Oof, fucking molasses, man. It's fucking terrible. (laughs) Even more reason to hate it. When I read this, I was like, holy shit, how can this syrupy substance be so kind of evil i mean it's not its main purpose but like they turn it into that you know what i mean now jumping right before the american revolution when the parliament renewed and enforced the molasses act of 1733 (laughs) as the sugar act of 1764 colonists viewed it as a threat to their livelihoods the act imposed new or higher taxes on sugar, textiles, molasses, and other goods from non-British territories and mandated that colonists could ship these goods only to English ports. <laughs> Fucking pigs. Get out of here, Dutch. Get out of here, Spanish. Get out of here, French. It's all I, about the Brits. This is all just based on my uh, Sid Meier's Pirates knowledge. But <laughs> Could you trade uh, molasses in, oh, yeah. in there? Could oh, you yeah. really? Sugar, molasses... Uh, gold cannons and cargo, I think, were the five things you could trade. Hell Cargo's yeah. a very broad term. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they want there, to put the S word there, in there. There could be slaves in there. <laughs> like, here's five men and 6,000 pounds of grain. <laughs> Guess where you're sailing between? Pretty much Hannah and, or Havana, Cuba, and Port Royal. So that's <laughs> right where we are here. The Parliament did this to raise revenue to decrease the national debt England had ran up after the Seven Years' War. I'm not familiar with this war, are you guys? Yeah. Yeah, I think it lasted about nine years. (laughs) (laughs) Are you positive of that? Pretty certain. (laughs) After this act, the oh-so-famous phrase, Taxation without representation, began to sweep the nation. Due to the act colonists began to communicate with each other in order to not use British-made goods. This, in turn, caused the Parliament to enact the Stamp Act and the Tea Act, and as we know in America, this was enough to spark the American Revolution. Hell yes. Kill your masters. (laughs) They ain't fucking with our molasses. Just like Daenerys, kill your masters. (laughs) And Killer Mike. Yes. Years after the American Revolution, President John Adams wrote this. I know not why we should blush to confess that molasses was an essential ingredient in American independence. (laughs) Many great events have proceeded from much smaller causes. 
The president doesn't lie. No, he's no. a fucking beast. We've never had a president that lied. I love you, John Adams. <laughs> yeah, John Adams, if he lied, his dad would make him go cut down a cherry tree. Is that yeah. true? Yeah. James I'm, Madison is the one who said that windmill noise causes cancer. Yeah. Oh, and he William said that a long Taft time ago, huh? Drank his own bathwater. <laughs> After the war, sugar prices dropped and molasses was used less as a sweetener and more in the production of rum and the distilling businesses in Massachusetts. By the 1800s, molasses was was an important part in industrial alcohol production, which was a mainstay of the American economy. From industrial alcohol, it would be used in cleaning products, solvents, dyes, and lacquers. Okay. I was wondering what industrial alcohol was, but that makes sense. It, yeah. We're going to learn its other purpose uh, later on. But yeah, I was like, how the fuck do they turn... I guess they turn the sugar to alcohol and then the alcohol to cleaning products mm-hmm. and shit, yeah. I guess. Alcohol is a great solvent. <laughs> it is. I found out that wild turkey, if you drop a 175 <laughs> on the floor... It will eat the fucking, it will eat the wax Is right out of your caustic? tiles. Oh my God, yeah. Wow, okay. I was, after I saw that, I was like, mm, I wonder what my yeah, guts look like. I was going like. to say, what, what does it do to the insides of your body? That's kind of what I'm wondering right now. Your internal organs are resilient. You're fine. <laughs> They'll bounce back. <laughs> now that we have an idea how important molasses has been throughout history, we will move on to the topic of conversation today. The two million gallon storage tank being created in Boston. That's so much of anything. (laughs) The man overseeing the project's construction in 1915 was a man named Arthur P. Gell. The company he worked for was known as Purity Distilling, which is a subsidiary of the larger company, the U.S. Industrial Alcohol. The main idea for building this tank was to receive and store all of the molasses that was being delivered from Cuba... Puerto Rico, and the West Indies. Once the shipment was delivered to the tank, a small portion would be turned into grain alcohol for rum, but over 80% of it would be turned into industrial alcohol that in turn would be used for munitions. These munitions could be used for such things as dynamite, smokeless powder, and other high explosives. Brilliant. And we're gearing up for war at this point. You got it. We're going to war with the Kaiser. (laughs) Prior to the tank's creation, USIA was struggling to keep up with the demand for industrial alcohol. When World War I broke out in August of 1914, the demands for industrial alcohol skyrocketed. President Woodrow Wilson was adamant about America staying out of the war, Mm -hmm. but he had no problem on capitalizing on Mm -hmm. selling goods to the friendly allies, which included the British, the French, and the Canadian governments. You're going to tell me the Canadians got into a war before us? That's what it said. They sure did. They were uh, they were beholden to the British and the French, I believe, at that U- point. U- oh, USA yes. molasses was greater than Canadian maple syrup. Yeah, better than your, your goddamn <laughs> poutine bombs. Can you turn maple syrup into bombs? You can't. You can't. <laughs> I know this for a fact. I've tried for years. <laughs> If you just reduce it down and turn it into molasses, you could. I just got to refine it more. But those goddamn Canadians don't have the technology for that. They're too stupid. Hey, now we can't be insulting Jenna. Oh, yeah. She's a good one. She's the exception. And everyone she knows. And her horses. And And anyone who listens to this. And all the other Canadians we like. Any Canadians who don't listen to this, y'all dumb. Yeah, you're the dubbies. (laughs) The USIA chose a location in the north end of Boston near Commercial Street. 
This site was important because it was be located next to a major harbor and had direct access to the major freight lines to ship molasses with ease. Basically, it would come in from the harbor, go into the tank, then be distilled or placed into freight cars, and then shipped elsewhere. So that was like the main holding tank. Correct. Yeah. It's going to be the largest one ever. That's two why they need it. Two million gallons. That's dude. a lot of molasses, That's man. That's too many gallons. <laughs> I'm thinking... You, we wouldn't be talking about this unless that tank was going to cause us a problem later on. <laughs> it's going to cause a big-ass problem. It's Chekhov's 2 million gallon tank. <laughs> there was another reason why this location was ideal as well. That reason was because the neighborhood consisted mainly of Italian immigrants, which many spoke no English at all, and the remaining population was Irish. Basically, they knew that the residents of the neighborhood wouldn't have a voice to speak up and stop the construction. As long as Cody Wangen the first was there, those Irish ain't going to do shit. Well, to be fair, I think it was like 80% Italians and the rest were like a few Irish spread around. So it was Yeah, well, your family Italian. would definitely make sure those Irish had nothing to say. And back then, they were all treated as second-class citizens no matter what. Yep. It sounded like the Irish had a leg up over the Italians at this point. At Boston. Boston. Yeah. Because when we go through the police and the firefighters, they all have Irish names. I mean, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. You, you look at nowadays, I mean, the main export of Boston is the Dropkick Murphys. True, so. true. <laughs> and shitty Notre Dame tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> now, Arthur Gell was the treasurer of the Purity Distilling Subsidiary and was given the task of overseeing its construction, as noted previously. Now, Arthur had spent his entire career with Purity working in clerical, administrative, and financial positions starting at the age of 14. Now, this tank would become very important to Arthur because the USIA President Frederick M. Harrison and Vice President Nelson B. Mayer dangled the position of the Purity Distilling Vice President position if he could pull this off. Mm, Big bucks, baby. Basically. The plan started in late 1914 and was given a deadline of December 31st, 1915. If it wasn't completed by then, the large shipment scheduled to arrive from Cuba would be sold off to another subsidiary, probably causing Arthur to lose any hopes of the promotion within the company. Truly. Now, an entire year seems like enough time to create the tank, but it would be filled with plenty of red tape and delays. Arthur first contacted Hammond Ironworks to create blueprints in 1914. They would have the blueprints done in April of 1915 with a price tag of $30,000, which included construction as well. Right out the door, baby. Right there. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, in today's money with the little calculator I did, it would be $760,000. That still doesn't seem that bad for a $2 million holding tank. That sounds all right. A $2 million gallon holding tank. I think if we tank. pooled our money, we could get one. <laughs> yeah. Should we recreate the Boston tank? <laughs> all right. Put it in my it. backyard. Here. Oh, flood West St. Paul. <laughs> I'll get the GoFundMe started. All of you that listen, donate to our molasses tank fund. Now, our- keep, keep in mind that th- that price is only the blueprints and the steel. They, not not labor. like um they'll put, well it says it included the construction as well so yeah, i'd imagine that they, would include labor when i'm gonna talk hold on let me okay go, yeah, let yeah. Me go yeah. the All next right. step right, baby. we're right. gonna learn about the other people involved hell yes the next step would be to come to terms with boston elevated in regards to leasing the site 
USIA wanted to build the large tank, an accompanying pump room, more vessels along the wharf to unload molasses, install a 220-foot underground pipe to carry molasses, build a small auxiliary tank that would feed the molasses into the larger tank, and build a, quote, spur track that would enable rail cars to travel back and forth off of the site. That is a lot of extra shit for what (laughs) should be a simple project. (laughs) (laughs) So they got to pay these guys. They got to pay the guys to build the foundation, and they got to pay the people to put it up. So I love this shit, man. Yeah. This is like gangs of New York, and mafia <laughs> shit all over the place. It just, we got to give the O'Shaughnessy's money. Oh, or else is, we're pulling that, our that, fucking laborers. That's out the of here. only way that we get the access to the port. You know what? You know what is really funny? They don't talk at all about like paying off politicians or like local anything. So maybe that did happen. They just didn't mention it. Oh, that it. had to know. have happened, it especially happened. back in these days. Yeah, man. I think this guy. Um, the guy who wrote the book basically collected all the newspaper and court records and then built the book off of it. So he probably wouldn't uh, have any idea right, <laughs> if they right. were doing side payouts and shit. So. Tough to interview these guys, too. Yeah. yeah. They're very dead. I mean, you could have a seance. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. fuck it. Arthur, tell us the details. <laughs> <laughs> it was complicated by price agreements for gas, water, and electricity, as well as how much USIA would be responsible for if the site was damaged. <laughs> Okay. Now, Hammond Ironworks wanted to get started with construction, but couldn't yet. Arthur wrote this to the company on May 6th, 1915. We regret very much that we are still unable to give you any definite shipping date for the 90-foot tank. We are far more anxious than you are to commence work on this. We can assure you, the delay has been unavoidable. (laughs) Now, the following day, May 7th, the British luxury liner Lusitania was sunk by German U-boats. 1,200 citizens were killed, including 128 Americans. This I mean, and those are the only 128 lives that matter. Yeah. <laughs> the 1,200 get out. This caused a lot of America to believe they would be entering World War I very soon, which meant the demand for industrial alcohol would go up even higher. Arthur needed to get the construction of the tank underway. They could be potentially losing out on tons of revenue. I see what you did there. That's all he cares about. Tons of <laughs> revenue. I didn't tons mean to do that, but apparently he didn't work. <laughs> Finally, on September 24th, 1915, Arthur signed a 20-year lease to rent the 17,000-square-foot waterfront parcel at 539 Commercial Street for the annual fee of $5,000. <laughs> For a 17,000 square foot That doesn't seem bad. Parcel. Well, yeah, but I mean, you got to f- figure in. So it was 30,000 to build. That comes to, what, 760,000 today? That's still... It's probably like a hundred grand-ish, maybe mm-hmm. a little mm-hmm. less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we're Basically getting a real fifth. close to that fucking deadline. It's yeah. Gonna, it's going to pick up. September 24th. This thing's supposed to be built in like two months. Yeah. The construction would finally commence on November 1st. The deadline would be tight, but if everything went right from here on out, maybe they could just pull this off. Mm-hmm. During the first week of November, the Hugh Naw Construction Company worked on creating the three-foot-thick concrete foundation the tank would rest upon. In the meantime, Hammond Ironworks would be shipping the steel to the site. That is a healthy concrete <laughs> foundation. Well, I mean, think of two million <laughs> gallons of molasses. That weighs a yeah. fuck ton, dude. And plus with how... 
like the square footage of it alone, like Jesus. I hope they put in some rebar. Uh God, I hope so. <laughs> We're gonna find out. <laughs> Finally, in the first of December, Hammond told Arthur there would be a delay for he needed to get all the proper permits, but Arthur told him You apparently did not understand that we had arranged so that it would not be necessary for your foreman to take out a permit in Boston as the contractors who are building the foundation will allow us to erect the tank under their permit. <laughs> Sleazy permit-avoiding dickhead. This was allowed because it was considered a receptacle and not Suck a building. Me <laughs> Suck me off. Gotta love those little nooks and crannies. See, this might have been like an under-the-table thing here. Oh, yeah. Oh, believe me, I got a story about some under-the-table shit I'm dealing with at work Ooh. now. I don't about, know. like, a... Cons a place we're working on. <laughs> nice. Or some sketchy shit. Juicy masonry update for Between the Bubbles, it sounds like. So as you guys can imagine, that will become very important later on. <laughs> With construction finally underway, Arthur would recall how cold it was in Boston this year. Yet, 30 men would work day and night, scurrying across the shaky scaffolding, <laughs> climbing the ladders high into the air. Now the tank would be assembled with bent steel plates, seven vertical layers of rounded steel plates, each overlapping the layer below and held into place by a horizontal row of rivets. Vertical rows of rivets sealed the seam of each of the 18 steel plates that formed the tank's cylindrical shape. Well, it sounds solid so far. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's hard to like put it together in your head, but it's kind of... They riveted the shit out of it, basically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they had, Every like, the vertical things, and then they just had steel bands around it. It's, right. It's like by a big all barrel. accounts, it's this like thing, it should be sturdy as fuck. It's a big it, barrel. If anybody knows what, like, um, a grain bin looks like, it's just basically yeah. concrete with bands around it. That's yeah. effectively what it is. All in all, this would create a 50-foot-tall, 90-feet-in-diameter, 240-feet-in-circumference steel tank capable of holding 2 million gallons of molasses. Ooh. The first construction death occurred on December 8, 1915, when 35-year-old Thomas DeFratis fell off a staging plank and plummeted 40 feet to his death inside of the tank. Mm. It, you know, that's, uh, <sighs> that's why you see like iron workers and stuff. One thing I got told is, on scaffolding, once you're seven sections up, you just don't give a fuck. That's when you just mm. run across shit, because after that, it's not going to matter, because that's about 35 feet up. Sure. You're sure. going to die if you fall. Anything that's below that, you'll see him just like, all right, careful, careful, mm, careful. That's a terrible death, dude. I don't want to die like that. <laughs> and these are 1915 <laughs> scaffoldings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's probably like, we got a couple sticks. <laughs> Arthur still remembers hearing the man's screams as he fell to his death. Arthur did feel bad for the man, but mostly he was upset it wasted half a day to remove his body from the tank. <laughs> I mean, listen, you gotta get all the little pieces off the side of it that splashed up. It's fucking December <laughs> something, 7th. We gotta yeah. get this. Oh, yeah, so we gotta yeah they go. had to chip that shit off because it froze. Mm. Yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> hey, it, that sounds easier than wiping up the blood, honestly. For the next several days after the accident, most of the workers were on high alert for their own personal safety, <laughs> which caused slower production when you were actually paying attention when running across scaffolding, mm -hmm. like Jordan mm -hmm. just mentioned. <laughs> that, was, that was a perfect thing to bring up. 
Three days after the accident, though, everything returned to normal. <laughs> they got short <laughs> memories, short-ass memories. You're like, wait, did someone fall? No, dude, just keep running across it. All right, done. Do you remember that Thomas guy who used to work here? Mm-hmm. No, I don't. I don't. They, they, I you mean Thomas were... over there? <laughs> oh, shit, he's still alive. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> they just fuck, uh weekend at Bernie's, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> So they just had, sh- like, bags full of mush? <laughs> yeah. They're like, hey, Tom, how do you feel about this in your hefty bag? At least you can't die twice, Tom. <laughs> Tom, you want to go off the scaffolding again? <laughs> Wee! <laughs> On December 13th and 14th, a vicious storm hit Boston. The newspapers called it a superstorm, worst they have seen in years. 50-mile-per-hour gale force winds caused destruction to power lines, chimneys, trees and signs those are some bitch ass chimneys the popular roller coaster at nantasket beach was toppled in the wind no. this storm caused a two-day delay wait they had roller coasters back then <laughs> apparently i don't know if i'd ever go on it but yeah they were there hey go on the high roller at fucking <laughs> valley fair i fucking love that, that roller one is coaster. scary that's death <laughs> i love that they're rickety <laughs> oh Oh, dude, the old wooden ones? Mm, You can't beat them. No, Uh, no, thank you. I'll beat them every day (laughs) by not riding them. On December 26th, another severe sleet storm hit Boston and caused another delay in construction. This storm caused a bit of deja vu as it toppled another roller coaster (laughs) located at Revere Beach. (laughs) But finally, on December 29th, the construction of the tank was finally complete. Boom, beat it two days ahead of what they needed to. They probably get a bonus. Dude. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, think about it. They didn't start construction until December 1st, I think. They got that bitch up pretty fast. And it's on a bum permit. Let's mm-hmm. not forget about that. Listen, that permit is fine. Yes. It's a receptacle, yes. not a building. The cement guy said it's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> now, Hammond informs Arthur the tank should be filled to the brim with water to test for leaks. But Arthur decided that would just be another expense with the municipal water supply to fill the tank. Mm. Plus, it could take a couple weeks on top of that. Time he just did not have. Mm. So instead, he told them to fill it only six inches. <laughs> <laughs> Enough to reach the first angle joint. <laughs> and because it showed no signs of wor- of leaking, that was good enough for Arthur. <laughs> Perhaps if he had fulfilled the permits and tested it properly, the events of the future could have been completely avoided. Oh, needless death and destruction no, could have yeah. been avoided. Just because he- some greedy fuck would have done his job <laughs> hey, right. Ro- Run this hose for about 30 minutes. Yeah, it's not leaking. We're good. <laughs> hey, the first joint's good, so okay, they're all good. It's 50 foot tall. Let's fill it six inches on. That's good. Yeah, no, we're solid. What <laughs> See, a fucking asshole. <laughs> Either way, Arthur had met his deadline two days before 700,000 gallons of molasses was set to arrive from Cuba. Just a day after the tank was completed, the USIA decided they would need to make another investment to pay the Boston Police Department for a policeman to be placed on the fixed post next to the tank. Smart, actually. Yeah, can't have anyone fucking with your molasses. You taking a court? You going downtown, boy? (laughs) (laughs) Steal molasses is a death penalty in Boston. (laughs) Dude, from the sounds of it, I don't doubt it. Why did they need a police officer guarding the tank 24 hours a day? Well, that was because of everyone's favorite group of idiots, the radical anarchists. (laughs) (laughs) The anarchists were a militant group who were strongly opposed to the war, 
They hated the government, and they especially hated capitalism. Fucking, these are hipster hippies, man. <laughs> They're not. 1915 <laughs> hippies. Dude, they are not nice people. They're <laughs> like pieces of shit. I'm serious. <laughs> Up to this point, America had stayed out of World War I, but they hated the fact that they were even selling goods to the warring, warring countries. Mm-hmm. In November and December of 1915, there were strategic fires and bombings at manufacturing plants. Mm-hmm. Bethlehem Steelworks in Pennsylvania was destroyed by a fire that produced guns for the Allies. The Pont Powder Mill in Wilmington, Delaware exploded, killing 30 men and injuring five. They even plotted to kill President Woodrow Wilson. So as you can see, the Commercial Street Molasses Tank was a huge target for the anarchists, but in the end... The tank would just destroy itself. Listen, man, I like this group. They got their beliefs, and they're going to fucking uphold them. <laughs> that tank self-destructing is, uh, that's that's ultimate anarchy. Yeah, I mean, they probably were there and saw, like, wait, it's falling apart? Cool, it's doing our job for us. <laughs> we can try and take credit for this, maybe. <laughs> the reason- we broke the seams. <laughs> yes, it was us. <laughs> the anarchists. <laughs> Viva la re- what would they say? Viva la resistance. Well, they're all Viva la revolution. They're, they're all um, Italian anarchists, by the way. Oh, then they would say a spaghetti. <laughs> a viva la parmigiana. No? <laughs> a long live the marinara. <laughs> now that the first shipment had been safely delivered, everything seemed to be going fine. In February 1916, the company hired a Puerto Rican man named Isaac Gonzalez. Now, Isaac would essentially be responsible for the entire operation of the tank. His new boss, William White, would explain how the entire system worked from intaking the molasses from a cargo ship to filling the rail cars. After the tour, Isaac recalls looking up at the molasses masterpiece and noticed something that was a little bit weird. He could see the thick molasses leaking through the riveted seams, slowly making its way down the sides. Now, because it was so bitter cold in Boston, the molasses would barely move, but it wouldn't freeze either. Isaac described it as thick pudding. (laughs) (laughs) There's another interesting thing Isaac noted. From inside the tank, he could hear a low grumbling noise similar to distant thunder. This isn't necessarily that strange because molasses does ferment and reacts differently at different temperatures. Sure. Now, jumping to early July 1916, whether it be because of Isaac or others noticing the seeping molasses, <laughs> the company hired Patrick Keneally, another Irishman, <laughs> a boilermaker by trade, to attempt to reseal some of the leaks. Patrick would sit on his rigging chair high above the ground and use a soft rag to wipe away the molasses. He would then use his tool to flatten the steel on each side of the leaky seam to push them closer together. After three days, Patrick had done everything he possibly could to reseal as much of the tank as he could reach. But even after his work was done, Patrick still felt there wasn't something right with the tank. Because he couldn't reach the very top, there was still a bit of molasses leaking. <laughs> From the top, too. Okay. He he just did went as high as he could get. Sure. I mean, 50 feet in the air in that scary little chair. No, no thanks. No, thanks, dude. And you're pounding steel on a giant thing full of <laughs> yeah. gross shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jumping to December 18th, 1916, the anarchists would launch an attack on the North End Salutation Street, Street Police Station, blowing a hole through the three-foot-thick brick wall. That's impressive. 
They estimated that it had been about 18 to 20 sticks of dynamite that caused the explosion. (laughs) Shit. The force was so strong, it blew out all the windows in the surrounding area. They believe the anarchists launched the attack because the police had recently made several several arrests to prominent members of their group, including one of the main leaders named Alphonsus Forgotti. Forgotti had been arrested for attempting to murder a police officer with a 15-inch knife blade. <laughs> Is that a Hell sword? Yeah. Is that I, a that's sword? a big ass. Yeah, I, I think that's a large dagger. <laughs> Not quite sword <laughs> levels yet. Okay. <laughs> that's unbelievable. <laughs> They There's get, a three-inch rule. It has to fit in the blade. Has to fit is that the like a machete? Is that like a little machete kind of? I, I think it's smaller than a machete. Like I said, large dagger. Okay, large. Lar- maybe I, a dirt. I feel like a dagger is around like ten inches. <laughs> okay, so a long dagger. Not quite yeah. a sword, but not a little bigger than a dagger. Somewhere you wouldn't in there. use it to cut your steak. What's like the that. smaller katana you carry? You have the katana, then the little one. Well, the seppuku. See, my boy, see, my son, Mm. the problem is Uh not all Japanese swords are katana. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Some of them are just swords. Mm. Mm. Okay. I follow you. And that was Adam's weeaboo corner. (laughs) Yes, sir. Well, you know what? You know what? Ian Carmel says, (laughs) I can't put this sword away until it's tasted blood. That's very true. This entire attack is important because the police station was located literally a few blocks from the molasses tank. William White knew these attacks were slowly slowly creeping closer to his beloved tank. <laughs> now Isaac has suggested to Mr. White, Mr. White, why not put up a chain link fence around the property? Initially, William White thought this was just hogwash. <laughs> We have a police officer on the premises 24 hours a day, and the fence would just be another unwarranted expense, but after this attack, perhaps the fence might be worth it. Let's give it a run. No one touches my big shiny tank. (laughs) It's my precious. One thing I noticed, Hmm. three foot thick brick walls they blew through. Mm -hmm. Sounds like they could blow through a three foot thick foundation. Right. Ooh. I know that's not going to happen because uh, <laughs> I, the anarchists didn't have anything to do with this. But uh, well, We don't know that yet. Oh, we? yeah, we don't. We're just talking about the anarchists because they get blamed for a lot of shit in here. So. Sure. They're an easy scapegoat. <clears throat> right. Yes. And they're pieces of shit. <laughs> in late January 1917, Captain Frank, Vr- <laughs> Frank Van Gelder was set to make his shipment of molasses from Cuba. Of course, every good ship needs a name, and his cargo ship was named... Miliero. Miliero was equipped with 16 separate steel containers capable of hauling 100,000 to 120,000 gallons in each. It's a lot of molasses. Oh, yeah. Going across the water. Mm Mm-hmm. That's so impressive to me. Now, the trick for transporting the molasses was once it was all loaded in Cuba. It needed to make a straight shot to America without delay. Because the molasses is so thick, it could retain its original temperature for most of the trip. Which made it th- thinner, which which was easier to unload in the tank. Certainly. Okay. Say if the molasses was at 75 to 80 degrees when leaving the island, it would probably be about 60 to 65 degrees when it reached the East Coast. Captain Gelder said this. Molasses is queer. <laughs> Sometimes you would get a molasses that was heavy. You would think you would have trouble with it, and it would pump all right. Other times you would have thin molasses, and sometimes it wouldn't pump good. You can't explain the reason. Well said, Captain Gelder. Molasses goes in, molasses comes out. Can't <laughs> He's explain that. He's just a molasses, man. 
Even at a decent temperature, the molasses would still take two to three days to fully unload. This trip in particular would have been Captain Gelder's third trip to the giant molasses tank. He had been delivering molasses for the USIA since 1910 all over the East Coast, so he had seen plenty of the storage tanks, but when he gazed upon the massive tank, he knew something wasn't quite right. For a tank that had only been in operation for a year, it had molasses leaking from everywhere. It wasn't that weird to see a little leak here and there, but this was almost an outrageous amount. For a company filled with penny pinchers, it is a bit odd to let all that molasses just lay on the ground. Mm -hmm. On April 2nd, 1917, USIA was about to have an even higher demand for its precious molasses. On this day in particular, President Woodrow Wilson and Congress had been assembled to decide if, it, if this was the time to declare war on Germany. When Germany openly declared that any American merchant ship would be sunk on site by German U-boats, America needed to respond. The oh problem with the Germans, hmm. and for both of these conflicts, is boy did they think their nuts were bigger than they actually mm -hmm. were. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You really, 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 <laughs> really shouldn't say that, that kind of shit no. to people that aren't that, involved. <laughs> that just reminds me of, of me, my sir. So we're going to do a visual... No, we're not going do to. Do it. Visual meme corner. Visual meme. meme. Audio meme. Audio meme corner. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's World War II. Germany. Hey, Japan, can you attack Russia from the east so that we can take over uh, whatever's Moscow? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. There's so Stalingrad at the time. Yeah, but... Japan, sorry, we just bombed Pearl Harbor. <laughs> Germany, you what? <laughs> Idiots, God, Japan, you fools. What made it worse was when Germany offered Mexico its lost territories back <laughs> if they joined the war as their allies. Uh. Now, have you guys heard that this was actually like a big conspiracy theory? That like the British made all this shit up? Have you ever heard that before? Like, they made up the, the transmission mm. about Germany yeah. contacting Mexico. It's like a deep conspiracy. That sounds like something you'll go into on Subliminal Deception. Perhaps. Oh, my God. Dying. There was one I heard, too, that was right around this area where allegedly the Statue of Liberty got bombed, but they, like, covered the whole thing up. I don't know if that was true or not. That's, like, a big thing, too, I Holy guess. Holy shit. I know. As we know... Woodrow Wilson was strongly opposed entering the war, but felt he had no choice. When the Senate voted 82 to 6 and the House voted 373 to 50, the war resolution was signed on April 6, 1917. <clears throat> now, as you could expect, war fervor swept the nation. Kill the Huns! <laughs> with many men ready to enlist. And this also caused those anarchists to act up again. In <laughs> In Pittsburgh, there was an arson fire that destroyed a portion of the Atina Chemical Company, which is one of the largest munition manufacturers and a major customer of the USIA. Then there was a massive explosion at the Eddystone Ammunition Corporation in Chester, Pennsylvania, which caused the deaths of 116 workers, many of which were teenage girls. I mean, you need those delicate hands to load munitions. <sighs> While the anarchists never claim responsibility for these attacks, it does seem like they probably did. If uh, if I was a jury, I would say yes. Yeah. It seems like they're the only ones who are, like, homegrown terrorists at this point. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Following these two attacks, Arthur Jell decided to ditch the 24-hour police officer and hire his own guards and had them sworn in as special police. Fuck. <laughs> Private public You have police. a license mm-hmm. to kill. <laughs> Holy shit. He didn't want to risk having a devastating attack on his molasses tank. Mm. It's already the- falling apart on its own. <laughs> it's going to attack itself. <laughs> Around the same time, Arthur had to endure something that he considered even more bothersome than those radical anarchists. That was when his worker, Isaac Gonzalez, made what he called an unauthorized visit. Isaac was trying to inform Arthur just how bad the tank was leaking. It wasn't only Isaac who had taken notice, but the ship workers and residents of the neighborhood. <laughs> it was leaking so bad that the Italian neighborhood children would come around noon with their small pails and fill them up with the leaking molasses. <laughs> Isaac told Arthur, The children also dip sticks into pools of molasses and slip it into their mouths. It even drips onto their clothes. I spread sand around the base of the tank to keep the molasses from flowing too far, but with my other duties, I can't keep up with it. <laughs> Isaac then presented a handful of rust flakes he had con- collected from inside the tank itself. He placed them in Arthur's hand and said, These fall like snow into my hair and onto my clothes each time I go inside the tank. (laughs) Arthur's response was to not worry about it. The tank was sturdy and safe. (laughs) Isaac needed to do... (laughs) Also, Isaac needed to do a better job at keeping those neighborhood children away from the tank. Just give them a gun. (laughs) Jesus. Get the fuck back. Get out of here, you little (laughs) dagos. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) Arthur was already annoyed that Isaac saw himself as some sort of engineering expert instead of just another laborer that he was. Even worse, Isaac had gotten mud all over his office carpet. Mm. That son of a bitch. (laughs) Unauthorized visit and muddy carpet. (laughs) Isaac, now thoroughly frustrated with his pleas being ignored, revealed that he had actually been sleeping underneath the tank every (laughs) single night. (laughs) Isaac said... I'm afraid the tank is not safe, and it should start to fall. I can sound a warning. (laughs) Arthur was taken back and demanded that Isaac just go home at the end of his work shift. He told Isaac it had just been recocked last year and said, The tank still stands. The tank will stand. (laughs) (laughs) The following day, Isaac had received a phone call from someone threatening to blow up the tank. The caller asked him, Is this a supervisor of the molasses tank on Commercial Street? (laughs) Isaac informed him he wasn't. He was just a simple worker. The phone caller got angry and said, You're a damn liar, and we're going to dynamite the tank. (laughs) As an obvious recourse, Isaac then contacted the police department. So what did he get in return? Well, Arthur and Mr. White just proceeded to scold Isaac, telling them how foolish it had been to contact the police... They had their own special police force and didn't need the real police here. <laughs> Both of them believed Isaac had just fabricated the entire story about the bombing threat. This is a man that sleeps <laughs> under the tank because he cares about the tank so much. That's a little fucking nuts, dude. Ugh. But if it collapsed and he's sleeping under there, he's going to be killed anyway. Jesus. He wants to sound the alarm. He wants no, to if, save if he sleeps Boston. far enough to the uphill angle, he's fine. Yeah, I guess. You can just dip a pancake in it when he gets hungry. <laughs> Would you sleep like, out? Like, oh shit, tank exploded. <laughs> Would you guys sleep at, Will you guys sleep
guys sleep at work if you're worried about it being no, bombed? I no. hate my job. I never <laughs> sleep there ever unless I was it? on the clock and hiding. Those rich people have enough money to make up <laughs> for their houses and other things they're True. doing. True. The thought of simply firing Isaac had c- crossed both of their minds, but... It was not a logical move because so many men had enlisted in the war effort, it could prove difficult to replace him easily. (laughs) So William White just told Arthur he needed to do a better job at keeping his employees under control. (laughs) It's just like the blame blame pyramid just keeps going down and down. With the war still raging in Europe and the demand for industrial alcohol at an all-time high, Isaac would recall having to work harder than he ever had throughout the next year. He would quit sleeping near the tank, but still every morning around 2 a.m., he would leave his wife and venture to the tank just to make sure it was still standing. Why does he care so much about his job? I don't know. They hate him, and he's such a loyal son of a bitch. I don't know. Isaac, please. He should be the vice president of USIC. Arthur USIA. It... All these CEOs and shit are worthless. Isaac just continued to fend off those pesky neighborhood children and just had to pretend like he didn't notice the constant stream of molasses (laughs) leaking from the seams. Uh, Hey, Isaac, what's that coming out from the tank? Nothing, don't worry about it. That's just condensation. Uh, He's being gaslighted in fucking plain view. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Isaac would have people approach him inquiring about the tank, such as a stableman for the city of Boston Paving Department. He said... Sounds like the molasses is bubbling and boiling or doing something. <laughs> or another USIA worker who enjoyed leaning against the tank to feel the vibrations. <laughs> he told Isaac, It's a regular vibration, as though the tank is bulging in and out. <laughs> <laughs> Just like it should. Hey, this tank's supposed to have a heartbeat? <laughs> What's going on here? I'm kind of curious, like, what it'd be like to stand next to a tank like this where, like, the shit's fermenting inside and stuff. Hey, you know what? I'm not. (laughs) Oh, that sounds spooky. (laughs) It does. Around August 1918, Isaac was informed by Arthur Jell he was finally going to do something about those pesky leaks coming from the tank. (laughs) It had been over a year since Isaac had tried to convince them that something needed to be done, and Arthur decided he would, in fact, fix the problem by... Hiring men to paint the outside of the shell from gray to rust brown color. Perfect. Can't <laughs> Listen, see the we, we just needed to blend in. That's all that matters. Perfect. <laughs> His solution was to make it harder to notice all the molasses leaking from the side of the tank. <laughs> oh, you cunt. This, is, this story is literally like a fucking circus sideshow. Like, come on, guys. Jesus Christ. Finally, on September 1st, 1918, Isaac Gonzalez had had enough. He had worked so hard for the USIA and felt insulted by this joke of a fix, so he left the company. After Isaac quit, he enlisted in the Army, joining the 13th Battalion, 50th Company, and was sent to Columbus, Ohio for training. What Isaac didn't realize was that the war would be over before he would be sent overseas. That's probably a good thing, honestly. Well, not for those guys. They they want their shot at glory. That's true. That's true. And so, on November 11th, 1918, the war was finally over and the armistice had been signed. The entire city of Boston was celebrating America's victory over the Germans. Slay the Huns. (laughs) 
Now, a lot of people believe this was actually just what the country needed because the country had endured a severe influenza epidemic that was estimated to have claimed the lives of 500,000 Americans. Quiz time. What was the name of the flu? Don't know. H1N1. Spanish flu. <laughs> oh, was it? And did you know the Spanish flu wasn't even started in Spain? <laughs> Uh, but the first newspaper to report on it was a Spanish newspaper, so they called it the Spanish flu. <laughs> I couldn't believe how many people died of that. Like, the population obviously wasn't what it is now, but holy shit, that is a lot well, of fucking I mean, people. I mean, that's, We're, due. that's We're overdue for another one. That's pre-vaccination, and to Adam's point, these <laughs> stupid fucking anti-vaxxers are bringing this shit back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you don't vaccinate your kids... Go fuck yourself. <laughs> or have fun watching them puke their own blood out of their butts. Uh, I mean, if that's the choice you make, you deserve to see that. Mm. Now, Arthur Jill had fe felt the effects of the flu. Throughout the fall of 1918, the flu had caused many of his workers to become sick and some to die, which caused disruptions throughout the company's operations. <laughs> no, why, why really? Why would you even admit that that's why you were upset? God, this fucking guy, dude. I love you, Arthur. <laughs> Arthur had felt fairly bittersweet about the armistice. He knew what was coming next. The demand for industrial alcohol had been slowly dwindling down even before the war was declared to be over. With the announcement of the war being over, Arthur knew it would certainly plummet. So the company needed to shift its focus from industrial alcohol to grain alcohol production. We ain't Hell fighting yeah. the war. We're drinking let's the people. Up, let's get them drunk. Let's We're go. not making gunpowder. <laughs> We're making Everclear. Let's go. <gasps> Wait. Hold on. Don't say it. Okay. Don't spoil it. Although this presented yet another vital problem for the company because rumors of prohibition <laughs> had been gaining <laughs> momentum Fuck for a you, few Arthur. years. And it became a very real possibility of the 18th Amendment being added to the U.S. Constitution, which would ban the sale and consumption of alcoholic beverages. And Did we all know how well that went. <laughs> Watch the Ken Burns. I can't remember if we talked about that last uh -uh. week, but the Ken Burns Prohibition documentary it's series good. on Netflix, it's beautiful. Hmm, Any Ken it. Burns is beautiful, but that one, The Wild Wild West and Vietnam are my three favorites. Oh, he did Wild Wild West? Or well, Wild Wild West Country? No. No, 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 no. Wild, it's uh, it's a history of the Americans. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's not about that cult in India. I was going to say, I love that cult. And it's also not about Will Smith <laughs> fighting a the robot. Be, his fighting. best movie. Wait, it's not about James West? <laughs> <laughs> I actually went to the theaters and seen Me that too. bitch. Me too. Was <laughs> he in my pants? I, I, had peed, pants. I had peed my pants at Chuck E. Cheese and didn't want to tell my aunt who was, I was with at the time. Well, she found out. You know, at the movie, when I smelled like pee pants. <laughs> pee pants Jones over here. You know what? I don't know if you know for certain, but um, they go. the book goes really far into Prohibition. And I think Minnesota was like either one of the last states to sign it or like one of the last three to sign mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. So, fuck you, Minnesota. They do a whole, like, part on Minnesota. About, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we still have some very archaic liquor laws. Mm, that's We're a good right, point. all right, though. Sunday sales now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we are the only state in the country that sells 3-2 beer anymore. Yeah, yes, and grocery stores, you can't get shit. <laughs> yeah. 
The USIA's plan was to drastically slow down the production of industrial alcohol in 1918 and move fully into grain alcohol throughout 1919 when it was still legal to sell alcohol. Mm. Then, when Prohibition took effect in 1920, hopefully the demand for industrial alcohol would return to normal <laughs> levels. He's just playing the fucking... <laughs> that's exactly what they do. Oh, that's beautiful. In Arthur's mind, it had been three years since the tank was erected, and if he could successfully pull off this move... They would have no choice but to give him his much-needed vice presidency promotion. Mm. Wait, I thought he was going to get that if he got it constructed on time, and he still hasn't gotten it. I don't know if you noticed, they always pull a carrot a little higher, a little higher. Oh, they love teasing (laughs) your dick out. You got to think about this, though. If if they don't switch over to alcohol and they just keep making industrial alcohol and nobody wants it, then the company is going to plummet. They have to get that alcohol, but they Mm -hmm. then have to switch it back. But then it's just, what's the next carrot? What's the next carrot? What's the next carrot? Well, in his mind, he thinks he's going to get it. That's because he's a sociopath, (laughs) but... The first step was to give the tank a good recaulking, so on December 10th, 1918, they hired John Urquhart, another boilermaker who worked for Walter W. Fields and Sons. <laughs> John remembers he needed to first wipe away all the leaking molasses, but when he did so, it would just immediately start leaking out again. <laughs> Now, because the flu epidemic had wiped out John's crew, he would have to do the entire job by himself, taking twice as long. Uh, The flu killed all my employees, so it's going to take a while. (laughs) So for the next 10 days, he would sit upon his rigging chair, dangling high in the air, wiping molasses, and repairing the seams as best he could. He was confident in his skills to reseal the tank, but until it was filled up again, he wasn't completely certain. (laughs) Let's try six inches. Let's just fill it up six inches and see what happens. It'll be fine. After the first angle joint. (laughs) It wouldn't be too long before the seals were tested because Arthur was expecting a humongous delivery of molasses in mid-January. Before the shipment arrived, Arthur received a call from the Boston police. Even with the war over, the anarchists weren't giving up. Mm. The police had located a bunch of placards tacked to businesses around Commercial Street It had the headline, Go ahead, senile fossils ruling the United States. (laughs) Followed by this. Do not think that only foreigners are anarchists. We are a great number right here at home. Deportation will not stop the storm from reaching these shores. The storm is within, and very soon will leap and crush and annihilate you in blood and fire. You have shown no pity to us. We will do likewise. We will dynamite you. Signed, the American Anarchist. Why are they Listen, so poetic? I mean, I like that threat. <laughs> we'll dynamite you. Fuck. I'm going to start Fuck. using that towards my enemies. <laughs> you want to get not dynamite like, you? Not like, I, I'm, I'm going to beat the shit out of you, but I'm going to straight fucking <laughs> dynamite you, Holmes. I'm going to pick up a piece of you as a souvenir. <laughs> the police quickly took down all the placards, but Arthur was still worried. After the war ended, Arthur had gotten rid of the special police guards immediately, and William White was working on site instead to keep a lookout for suspicious characters. (laughs) Arthur couldn't spare the expense to rehire the guards, so he just told himself, The tank will be safe. The ship arrives next week. We'll be ready to go. <laughs> Finally, on January twelfth, nineteen nineteen, the badass sea captain Captain the badass sea captain Frank Van Gelder once again pulled his ship Miliero into the harbor carrying one point three million gallons of molasses. Ooh, that is a healthy fuck ton. Ooh. Ooh. 
Arthur had placed an order for 600,000 gallons of that molasses, and the rest would be headed to the USIA's Brooklyn uh, plant. Hey, Brooklyn, I'm walking over here. <laughs> Keep your molasses out my shoes. I didn't really include it in here, but like Brooklyn, uh, Boston, like Baltimore, Brooklyn. and they're all like competing for the molasses. Mm. It's like mm. intercompany rivalries. It's very <laughs> weird. This is great. <laughs> Who wants that vice presidency carrot? Oh, I bet at every single factory they have the vice presidency carrot. Oh, I'm sure. And there's an Arthur Gel cup everyone, boy waiting for Everyone. It took about a day to unload the molasses, and Captain Gelder had fulfilled his order. What Captain Gelder didn't realize that with the addition of the 600,000 gallons, the Boston molasses tank was filled to almost its maximum capacity of 2.3 million gallons. Jesus. The molasses filled the tank 48 feet and 9 inches in the air and weighed roughly 26 million pounds. Fuck. It had never been filled with this... (laughs) It had never been filled with this much molasses before, and within a few days, Boston was about to experience the Great Molasses Flood of 1919, and that's where we're going to pick it up next week. Oh, uh, you're teasing. That's a tease right there, you're baby. You're teasing dicks, huh? Yeah. We just had to get right to the explosion point. Let me come, Cody. Let me <laughs> yeah. come. No, you're getting blue balls today. No. <laughs> this is like me going to the strip club, man. Yeah, I'm sorry to cut it off here, but it just is too good of a point to cut it off. Yeah, this is that's oh. a cliffhanger. That's you, a cliffhanger. And as you can imagine, guys, there's going to be a lot of fucking destruction from the molasses. And it's, oh, I uh, love it. Please it, tune in next week. It, it, it's, it's so thick and hearty. Mm, Tell your friends to start here. I wanted to make sure I talked about every single victim that's going to be affected by this. So it's going to be a lot of grotesque details, but uh, I think they should be honored. Aunt, definitely, and they should be talked about. Mm-hmm. We can't forget it. But uh, uh, I think I read about six pages of this in eighth grade, and then never oh, learned really? about it again. Yeah, I'd never heard of it until Shy kind of sent us the link or whatever. So wow! And when I started reading that book, I was like, "Man, this book is fucking awesome!" How was so I've never good. heard of this That's thing? So good. Thank you, Shy. Yes, thank you, Shy. It like touches every cool point in history, kind of, and everything yeah. like that. And crazy turn of the century, like capitalist war. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, that's good. <laughs> they uh, obviously during this point, I think businesses didn't have a lot of restrictions because it was just make as much money as you possibly Hell can. Yeah. Yeah. Work those immigrants till they die. <laughs> I, I think America at this right around this time is like super fucking well wealthy. I think did they have the most gold? They've ever had at this point, or yes. right after yep. this? Yeah, yep. yeah. I remember reading that, so. Country's very healthy right now, but obviously we know it collapses not too many years after this, That's so. Right. <laughs> That's right. Cody, fuck yeah. Great episode one. Love this. it. Like I said, tell everyone you know to listen to this mm-hmm. one. And if you know of better ways to seal a <laughs> two million gallon molasses <laughs> tank, you can email those to bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. What's that, Adam? Bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at bumblebuttpod and Facebook and Instagram at bumblebuttpodcast. Instagram being, of course, our main focus right now. Also, Jordan and I both have personal Instagrams. Mine is at bumbleadam. Jordan's is at j.j.fox. Mm. Uh, Cody, you just use the bumblebutt podcast. Right, yeah. right. So if you want to talk to Cody, talk to him. If you want to talk to us, talk to us. Right. Uh, or send it to Cody, and then he'll <laughs> forward it to either one of us. We all communicate. 
With each other's. Yeah. I'm Except like, for Adam when he's on vacation. Yeah, then I'm a cut-off little bitch. I don't really blame you, to be honest. Yeah, I no. mean, I still answer, but I'd prefer to just be left alone. Yeah, I, I, I didn't even not answer anyone out of spite. It was yeah. just because I didn't want to look at my phone. Yeah. I'm so angry. I, I was used to it because all the other vacations, you do the same thing. So I'm like, oh, it's just what Adam does. <laughs> I mean, I didn't even know he was on vacation. I thought he was just taking like a week off work for the hell of it. You know what? When you're on vacation, you don't want to be bothered. I so, went dark. I yeah, went dark, it's boys. Fine. It's fine. It's fine. He went zero dark 30. That's it's, right. the be- it's the best way to recharge. Oh, it is. And I feel great. I can I tell. Great. You don't. He came in with a burst of energy. Yep. I know work's going to rip it out of your soul, oh, but. I'm going to be just a crushed <laughs> little bitch next week, Adam, so be ready. Like I said, man, later this summer, you you could work on becoming young masonry god. Oh, when the work picks up. Oh, no, the work is picking up. It's just a matter of if we need labor. Apparently, you can go work for a crooked company, apparently, here. Oh, fuck it. I Arthur, already do. Is your boss's name Arthur, Arthur. J, Arthur P. Gell? No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> I wish White. it was because then I'd get to be like, that's a big-ass silo when it's not working. <laughs> Thank goodness you're not working with Isaac Gonzalez, though, because he seems like one of those little kiss-ass hard workers. He really does. Mm-hmm. At least he cared about the community. He oh. didn't want to see the community get destroyed. I love it. Yeah. I love Isaac. He's, He's the hero of He's this gonna story. Co- he'll come back in part two, so. Perfect. And now it's time for the most important part of the show, at least if you ask Cody, the iTunes reviews. It's been a week, dude. Not nobody. The, not that nobody likes this. Seriously. Listen, I see the downloads every day. They go up. I know. They go up. They I go don't, up. I, I, they I go know up. they do We've been killing it lately, I We're guess. killing it. But nobody loves us enough to drop us a quick fucking review, huh? You know, I mean, not even loves us. Like, you don't even like us enough? <laughs> I don't you don't even have to type shit. You just click the five stars and hit submit. No, mm. no, they need to type shit. Yeah. I need you to type something. I mean, granted, typed is better, but... Yeah, at least then we wouldn't look like assholes during this section. Every (laughs) week we're like, no new reviews. That's fine. But I know the downloads are there. I know you're out there, so fucking help us out. Hey, they could be from a different country and we can't see them. Shit. I forgot about our that's If you're from a different country and you have written one or even clicked five stars and submitted without writing anything, love ya. This isn't directed at you. (laughs) To the people that we can see that listen and haven't put anything... Americans. (laughs) Americans. <laughs> Get fucked. Shitheads. You know what I was disappointed in? We haven't had a single download in South Dakota. No, we haven't. Throughout the entire history of our podcast, I, they've never clicked on us once. Know, even in the Lipson days. Oh, really? Yes. I just, I know the population is like tiny as hell, but come on, there has to be one person out there. Do you know who's killing it right now? Who? Iowa and Texas. Damn. Yeah. Uh, fuck, this was good. Mm, dude, I have I been love- Adam. I'm going to kill all of you. Both of you. I have been Adam. Thank you, Adam. You have been Jordan. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Adam. You have been Cody. Thank you, Cody. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, everyone. Stay tuned Wednesday for mm. an episode of Between the Bumbles and next Sunday for another episode, part two of the Great Boston Molasses Bombing. Mm-hmm. The Great Boston Molasses Flood of flood. 1919. Right. That's not called a bombing. The Great. I got it confused <laughs> with the Boston Marathon bombing for a second. <laughs> Not a good thing either. No. Uh, okay, great. Have a nice weekend. Unless it's Tuesday. Please, for the love of God, give us iTunes reviews. <laughs> yes.